0: When you have a balanced offense, or when you run the ball, it's, it's obviously better for the offensive line. I'm assuming it's not as fun for the wide receivers uh, because they're not getting all the catches, they're making the TikToks, and they're 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 having fun on their social media. I don't think the game's- Welcome into Triple Zero's the anti-hot take sports show. I am your host, Josh Buck to Follow me on Twitter at Josh G Buck, hit up the Facebook page Clocker Sports, website clockersports.com. And the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. That voice you heard was Ale- I almost calls almost called him Alex. Alejandro Villanueva, former offensive tackle for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, now offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. And uh that was him commenting on a certain wide receiver that he is no longer teammates with, but we'll address that in a second we have to get up uh, on this nba stuff so the playoffs are like right around the corner most teams have about six games five games maybe even left and so we are uh, literally nipping at the heels of the second season in the nba and so i just want to take a quick second and kind of set the playoff field and kind of uh, discuss some expectations that i have for the teams uh, that are currently scheduled to be in the so in the eastern conference you got uh, Philadelphia at the one seat. Brooklyn is a two. There's only two games that were separating them, so that could still change. And then you got Milwaukee sitting there at three, one game behind uh, Brooklyn in the win column. So very fluid at the top still with just a, a handful of games left. Then in starting at four, you got New York Knicks, who I actually did a write-up about um, in part on clockersports.com of teams that are getting hot at the right time in the Knicks, and I believe they were they, they just lost the other night. But they were 8-2 and two when the— <laughs> They were 8-2 and two when the article came out, so they've been hot. Julius Randle, Derrick Rose, wrote about them. Go ahead and check that out. I also wrote about Derrick Rose for and um, and Bulls that are reaching the playoffs and how that's a tough pill. Now, real quick, I have to say, when I say it's a tough pill to watch former Bulls players, you know we'll just say later. In <clears throat> uh, fifth, you have Atlanta. Trey Young has played like a different player under Nate McMillan, and I think people are kind of missing the point here. We came in with expectations of him being the great scorer, and he still can do that but he hasn't been. And I think that's caused people to kind of think that he's fallen off some when in fact he's actually playing more of a traditional point guard role and getting a lot more guys involved, something that he was called out for um, earlier in the season by teammate John Collins, who by all accounts is expected to be on his way out when the season's over. So, um, but very impressed by what they've done under Nate. Six is Boston, one of my most disappointing teams. And they've kind of turned things around as they've gotten healthy. So, um, we'll see what they can do. I still don't think that they have enough in the postseason. There's not enough variation in what they can do offensively. It's, it's kind of all finesse. Jalen Brown's got some power, but as a wing player, um, it's not the the internal, the inside, interior presence rather, of a big man that I think the Boston really could use at this point. Um Miami at seven, another team that's been ravaged by COVID protocols. Really they kind of did this themselves <laughs> um in some cases, but they've been injuries have kind of held them down. So they're sitting there at seven, they're in the play-in game right now in the tournament, playing game tournament, whatever, game, uh, with Derby facing Charlotte, who is sitting there at the A-seed, A-C, who's actually just lost to my Chicago Bulls last night, despite the fact that they have LaMelo Ball back. They were without Miles Bridges, though, so that could have an impact on it. And then you have um, Indiana at 9, who is basically in a free fall right now and could end up very well out of the playoffs, uh, followed by Washington at 10, and then who the team that I think might end up jumping into it because of Indiana's uh, free fall there would be – my Chicago Bulls now that's just the Eastern Conference and what I would say there is that I don't think anybody under that top four has a chance and really I don't think anybody under the top three uh, I do like New York but they're missing another star scorer to me um, I like RJ Barrett I really like Julius Randle but I think they're missing another guy and I, I know Rose has been that dude for them uh, and we'll see I, I I hope I'm wrong because I like the team now I don't want the Knicks. As a Bulls fan, I am I am pre-programmed to hate the Knicks. However, they employ a lot of former Bulls: Taj Gibson, Derrick Rose, Tom Thibodeau, head coach. Uh, so I, I have a rooting interest in what they get accomplished, but I am definitely not rooting for them to be a uh, to be a, a factor really in the postseason. But I do think that the top three all have a shot, um, especially if Philly keeps playing through Joel Embiid, he keeps playing like a man with his hair on fire. Um, Milwaukee, I. I wonder if they are going to be able to overcome the curse. They have a better team. This is probably the best team that they've had around Giannis with Drew Holiday and uh, and and Chris Middleton there, able to take some of the offensive pressure off of him. But it comes down to him and how effective he can be when teams focus on shutting down his forays into the paint. Now, that being said, he has improved his outside shot dramatically so much so that it kind of puts Ben Simmons, who's in the one seat to shame, just in, in that aspect of it. Um, so. I still have my doubts, but having seen how he's improved his game, I do have some 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 uh, uh encouragement that he might be able to overcome that wall that they, we see them set up every off every postseason in the paint, right? You just see three to four guys lined up, two to three four guys lined up waiting for Giannis to try to stroll down the paint. So if he can hit that outside shot consistently, watch out because Milwaukee does I think have their best team that they've had while he's been there. So yeah, I just don't see anything under them though being a real threat to anybody uh at the top going on to the west you have utah in the one seed uh phoenix is the two seed. they were just the one seed the other day this is going to be a, another very fluid situation here um the clippers are two games back of phoenix for the second seed and three back of utah for one uh and right behind them is denver at four 44 and 22 now this is going to be fluid as well not as fluid as the east but i want to focus on the fact that denver is four And how Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., I'm not going to slight him, but Nikola Jokic has seemingly, public opinion, lost his MVP or lost the MVP race without doing anything to deserve that. And I spoke about this, I keep speaking about it, the marketability factor, the it factor, I guess you would want to call it. And while basketball people love Jokic, I don't know if the, the casual fan does or the casual doesn't. We know that at a certain point, MVP voting becomes a popularity contest. Now, Jokic, I believe, is still the betting favorite, so odds are he should still win it. But you just see, look at the, the amount of people who are calling for MVP and how many of them are saying players other than Jokic. And, I mean, you're getting you're getting Embiid, you're getting Steph. uh, Chris Paul's gotten some love the past week or so. Like, hold on now. And I told my brother this, actually. I was like, look, I... I think it's funny that we are all looking for the next MVP when it was Joker and he hasn't again done anything to lose that, but yet and still here we are. It's crazy and this team is still winning. It's it, it it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, fifth, you have Dallas. Sixth, you have the Lakers who are who just got a win. LeBron is out. Anthony Davis just went out again. The Lakers are in trouble. 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 Okay. Like, I was just talking. I just wrote them up. They were in the article for Clocker Sports about teams getting hot because they were getting their guys back. They were getting LeBron and AD back. And now, with both of them sidelined again, LeBron's out till Saturday. I believe AD's out till around the same time. LeBron, no, I'm sorry. LeBron's missing the next three games. He won't be back till next week. AD might be out till, I think, Saturday or Sunday. Like, holy cow. This is not good. Not good. Now, for all the talk about the Nets and how they need to get healthy, right? Because that's what you said I didn't talk about them making the finals. I just don't know what their health is going to be like. They're not even healthy now. And KD hasn't looked great in the in that at the end of games lately. Is he wait to turn it on? We'll see. But I'm 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 still trying to get a feel for what I think this. Net, if they are healthy, as James Harden said, right? Let's play some of that James Harden audio. Do you think you fit in and trying to kind of immediately, we've been talking about it all season, but come back, gel, build quick chemistry. And how much of an issue do you anticipate that potentially being? Not an issue at all. I think one of the things that a lot of teams don't have is talent, you know. So we we don't have to worry about that aspect. You know, we can control the the rebounding and the screening. Like we can watch film and get better than better at that. Um but skill wise, we're we're elite. So I'm not that's not my you know I'm not worried at all. So he's not wrong. They're talented. I think what he really means is that they have three great ISO guys, because that's that just sound, you know, whatever. He got a lot of flack for cropping out that New Yorker photo. And I don't think that he was doing it to slight the Knicks as much as he was just focused on his team. I don't know why he people think he would tweet out a picture of the Knicks. I that didn't make any sense. Um, and the cover was them leaving the Knicks in the trail in the dust. So I don't know what like it was already a slight to the Knicks as it was. Him cropping them is not a bigger slight right like that whatever but as he was saying they are a talented team and they're not worried about that but their health if they're not worried about their health they they're they're tripping because they've only played what seven games together and what's wild about that number is it's been that number since they gotten everybody right they they played like those first set, those seven games in the beginning when they got hard they haven't been together since and while I'm not worried about chemistry on the floor I am worried about their bodies being conditioned to take the gruel, grueling nature of a of a seven game series, the physicality of a half court offense. That's that's the problem, right? Because they, they they don't do great all the time in stopping people on the other end, especially on the inside. So I, I man, but back to the Lakers. When you got LeBron talking about he'll never be healthy again, again he's thirty six years old. He's probably he's right. He won't be one hundred percent. He's always once he gets dinged up in the year, it's probably gonna take him the rest of the year to get all the way right because he's constantly getting back on it. But with him and AD hurt, the fact that they have less, and I think I touched, I think I touched on this a couple of episodes ago when we went from big threes to this big two thing with LeBron and AD. But it's right back to big threes again with KD and them over there in Brooklyn with it just being 80 and lebron if they're not at 100% the lakers have no chance and i mean both of them at 100% or as you know lebron's lebron's not 100% lebron's 90 what 80 88% is probably close to 100% of everybody else but if they're not if they're not at the top of their games the lakers have no chance brooklyn can probably get through a series with one of the when one of those guys are out They can probably make it if they don't have a James Harden for, for a series or Kyrie for a series or maybe even KD for, I don't believe that, but maybe even KD for a series. The Lakers don't have that luxury because of how they're constructed. They can win some games, but they're not going to win a series if they don't have both. I I, I Do you? Maybe. AD, AD can win a series, but he's not healthy. Like I said, if you don't got him healthy, I, I don't know if the rest of the roster is constructed well enough to be able to function in that kind of situation over an entire series. That's that's jeopardizing for the defending champions. Seven, you got Portland, who's been a disappointment. and I'm not even going to waste my time on them because they do this to us every year. People get hyped up about that backcourt only to see disappointment. And here we are yet again um, in that same path. Eight, you have Golden State, 34 and 33. Steph is doing his thing, but that team sucks. Uh, Memphis at nine and San Antonio at 10. Uh, you have the Pelicans at 11. They are a game behind San Antonio for 10 and two, behind, or I'm sorry, three behind Uh, Memphis for the ninth spot. They're not catching Memphis. They could catch San Antonio though, and get their way into a play-in. And if they were to upset somebody, whoever they upset should be disappointed and probably relegated to the G League, because this has been a, a, another one of the most disappointing teams this season in just how much talent that they have and how, how incapable they've been of sustaining any sort of level of high-end production. We could talk about it being the roster fit. We could talk about it being Stan, Stan Van's fit there. The problem, is, point is, it's not working. And when the, you have a guy like Zion, who's already spoken about his affinity for a bigger market. It's not saying he wants to play there, but just saying he has an affinity for the city and the stadium uh, in New York for Madison Square Garden. The arena, I said stadium, that's football. Anyway, um, but when you have – when you're a small market team, you have to do everything you can to maintain, to, to do well. You have to put – there. Are, you can't have false steps. And I feel like Stan Van was a false step. I feel like how the roster is currently gestor- – getting Steven Adams feels like a false step. Not because he can't ref- – he's not the defender that you need inside with Zion, so he doesn't have to do it. The paint protector, the rebound. Like, he can rebound, but he's not the – and then he doesn't give you enough offensively consistently to take some pressure off either down there get some easy buckets. I didn't like the Steven Adams move for them. I just didn't like it. But then you compound that with the the uh, the uh, Stan Van Heijn. You got Eric Bledsoe who's been playing well. I, it's just a funky, wonky, construct, won- wonkily constructed roster. And it's been so disappointing because they have so much high-end talent. I love B.I. I really like Lonzo. Really, really like Zion. And yet... No, they just it's it's just disappointing. So, um, in the West, man, it this might be the most open, and honestly, I could see it being Phoenix and the Clippers in the finals, Western Conference Finals. I don't think it'll be Utah. I just don't think they. I I just don't like Utah. I, <laughs> that's the only thing I can say at this point because I've talked about how I don't think they have enough star power, especially offensively. Um, we got a bunch of role guys, but um, uh, I think they could struggle when things get bogged down. Um, if Donovan Mitchell has an off game. That could be trouble. Uh, Mike Conley helps them maintain a system when when Mitchell's not flowing, when Mitchell doesn't have it going himself. But I just always wonder, you know, when when teams try and can neutralize Mitchell, what what's their other option there? Uh, and they shoot, like they can shoot. They are a good scoring team. I'm not trying to downplay them in the regular season, but we know things change in the postseason, and that's always been my point. And I think that's always what people seem to miss: is that it's a different ball game in the playoffs. And so, I like Mitchell, and he's not even back. When he comes back, we'll see, you know, what all happens. I just, I I don't have a lot of faith in Utah there at the top. Phoenix, though, I like that team that can score. I like Chris Paul's leadership, and I just think that they might, you know, they're you, you get that one-off team that just kind of happens there. We saw Denver make it, Portland made it. Those are, like, one-off. I don't think they're going to make it like that no more. Not the way they're constructed. I just don't. I just don't. I mean, maybe Denver make it back. Denver has a better roster than Portland does. But that's kind of what I see with Utah. Or with Phoenix, rather. Uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the Lakers do get healthy and we finally get that battle for L.A. that we've been all clamoring for. Uh, it kind of sucks that we've had to wait this long and might not get it still. Um, but I I honestly don't know. The West is, is probably more confusing to me just because of the way... The Lakers are banged up. The Clippers seem to always let you down. Like they've been, they've been cruising, right? They've been rolling along, but I feel like there's just the other shoe is just about to drop at any given moment, and so I'm I'm always uh, weary of of anointing them as anything other than doing well in the moment. We've been talking about Paul George all season, how he's back on his MVP form, and Paul George is doing this, and like I always, and it's, it's become redundant, so I don't, I just skip past it. But my first thought is always. We see this all the time. We didn't nobody's complaining about him in the in the regular season. Nobody thinks he can't do this And that like I And so I know a lot of it is narrative based and people just have to feed into make a story and and, and feed into the storylines that are out there on social media, but like that one's a dumb one cuz literally people mock him for being playoff P. Don't show me his regular season stats. I don't care. I don't care. To put it harshly, he's doing very well. We'll talk in a few in a few weeks. At that bottom, though, like I said, man, New Orleans, if they make it in, whoever they beat, if they beat San Antonio, it's probably time for just move on. Pop should just walk to the sunset. Although I will say, get this roster that he has now in this place, Pop might need to stay for a little while longer. So, I mean, it can go either way through Craig Popovich down there in the bottom of the Western Conference standings. Interesting. I had to look at some of the biggest performers down the stretch here. Um and it's, it's it's a lot of I won't wanna say the usual suspects, but I I guess it, it really is because it's guys that you have come to kind of uh suspect would be near or at the top. You've got Steph doing his thing, Russ has been killing it. Um Trey Young, like I said, has has become more of a point guard. And I'm not I'm not we're not getting into awards and predictions and stuff like that because I think we've all made up our minds where we're going there. Um maybe I'll do maybe I'll do a final award prediction next week. How about that? Do an entire uh elaborate rundown. But I just want to talk about the guys who who I've been impressed by um, as we've gone down here. And I, again, wrote about this uh, for this is part of the process in the the Bulls article. uh, Watching former Chicago Bulls reach the playoffs is a bitter pill because you just see them doing things that you thought they would do here and you see what they were missing. Perfect example is Daniel Gafford playing with the Washington Wizards. Gafford has been playing much better and you've had guys uh, basically try to say that you know, it was the Bulls and not him, and, 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 and in a sense that's true, but it's more so the lack of a, of a facilitating point guard. And I I know that everybody bristles when you start talking. The game has evolved; you don't have that anymore. It's not that that's not how you do it. Okay, but you need somebody who can who can set up an offense, understand how to break down a defense, and knows where guys like to get the ball. So whatever you want to call that, <laughs> have at it. But where I come from, that's called a point guard, and so. The lack of of a, of, a, of a point guard who can find guys and put them, uh, give them the ball where they like it in the shooting pocket, is what's been hurting the Bulls. I think this entire season, more than anything else, you want to talk about defense. That's definitely an issue. But I think a lot of it's because they struggle to to maintain anything smooth on offense. Last uh last game against the Hornets notwithstanding, they looked really good that game. But I think that's been their biggest issue. I think that's the same thing that you're seeing with Daniel Gafford there in in Washington. He just has Russell Westbrook, who's on an insane, insane tear lately. And he's finding Gafford because when Russ runs to the rim, guess who's right there in the the dunker spot? Gafford. You know what he didn't have in Chicago? Anybody outside of Zach Levine running to the rim, and nine times out of ten if Zach was running to the rim, he was looking to score. You were there as a distraction or to get in the way. With with Russ, you at least have an equal chance of getting, um, of getting, the ball down there as you as he does as you do of him scoring it himself. So that that was the biggest difference to me. And so I'm not I don't buy into the whole oh it's the Bulls and they just they they can't seem to get right guys leave them and they, they fail. No situations matter fits matter especially in the NBA and I think you're seeing that. Um, play out with Gavin. Now, he didn't have a great game last game, but he's been doing his thing down there. And that was just the microcot like one example. Um again, read that article pipelinzzy.com, uh Chicago, former Chicago Bulls making the playoffs a bitter pill or a tough pill. Um but other guys that I've been impressed by down the stretch here, like I told you, uh Nikola Jokic, 28 and 4, 28.4 points per game as uh, the season wind down, he's averaging 10 boards and six assists over the last 10 games. Um, Giannis, like I told you, dude, over his last 10, Giannis is shooting 37% from outside. If he can keep up that, Milwaukee has a chance to make it to the finals. That's why I can't really doubt And that, that's, it's, you know, I, I still hold reserves from uh, the right to change my mind there, but I'm very impressed by it. So that's just a few of the guys, just a couple of the guys. And I know those are high end. They're not surprised or anything like that, but I'm definitely impressed by what I've seen from them so far as the season winds down here. So we'll see how that translates over, Uh, into the postseason. Now, I touched on a little bit there with the Bulls and uh, how it was a bitter pill. And in the article, I kind of specified because I I let off with Daniel Gafford, but I said it's not to say that they shouldn't have traded Daniel Gafford. It's just that it highlights, like I just talked about, the deficiencies of this roster. And one of the things that I saw as the Bulls got a win against Charlotte but still face a very steep hill trying to make it to the um, play-in, they're praying that Indiana continues their free fall. But I wrote about how the Bulls are in a, in, a, in a situation where fans are thinking that they should be ready now. But the organization lets you know that they weren't done remaking this roster. Uh, when they tried to offer Sado, I believe, in two second round picks or something like that for, for Lonzo Ball, they clearly want another piece, at least at, at the point guard position. Now, I've seen a lot of pushback on Lonzo and that he's not a great fit and he's not going to be the answer. And the third. My own response to that, anybody that feels that way, which that's fine. You could totally feel it. I get it. I understand why you would say that. But don't be mad at people for wanting something that clearly the front office wanted too. That would be my, that's my, that's like, I, I don't know if that registers with you, but if the front office made the deal, it would make sense then that people would want that person too. Because fans are fans. So I, I, I've always found it odd that people fight it uh, aggressively that people would want a player that, again, when that player was targeted by the front office. Uh, but these Bulls are in a, a tough spot because they are trying to make the play in. They are probably not concerning themselves with, but they do have a chance to make it to the top four and retain their pick this year. But I don't think they want that. I don't think they need more young players. I think they they know that they they need to try to show they can contend, they compete, so that they can lure in a big name free agent. That's the bigger goal here. The goal was never to uh, win a championship this year. They, they they said they wanted to make the playoffs and they probably do. They probably did not do. But the bigger goal, the larger picture, the the thirty thousand feet up view, is they built a roster of players or or they built a foundation with two players that, that they feel are respected enough around the league to change the reputation that this is a place where players can't come and thrive. And I think that's bigger than them trying to tank for the top four pick. Because as a major market, I am of the belief that you don't need to be rebuilding. You need to be retooling and reloading. You should be able to lure in those kind of free agents they always keep you competitive. And the Bulls have never been that. They've always been, in, or really Chicago teams have always been that kind of organically built winner type of deal. But in a day where we've seen big name guys go to smaller places, the Bulls should definitely have a seat at that table. So not small places, but getting big name free agents. So I, it's unacceptable for them to, uh, to continue to be bad just because they're trying to maintain some level of, of uh, possibility at, at retaining their draft pick doesn't make any sense to me. Never has. Switching gears, <laughs> the NFL draft was last week, uh, actually a week ago, uh, tonight. So uh, when one of my favorite moments is always the the players prior to putting on the cap. or the moments, you know, as they hit their name call and, and all that, and I have a couple picked out that I just want to take a listen to because they were really really powerful moments and. Um, the first one up is Micah Parsons, Dallas Cowboys linebacker um, out of Penn State. And here's his reaction when he was selected by Dallas. Who won Dallas? Was that, that Nervous, nervous, nervous. But phones is ready. If it's Dallas, I'm crying. If it's Dallas, I'm crying. Because words really have power, Deron. If it's Dallas, I'm going to cry, bro. Micah Parsons has long dreamed of playing for the Dallas Cowboys. need Dallas come get me. He huh? Dallas come get me. You can't even guard me. He always want to start this. They could use somebody like me, bro. Where do you really want to go? Like, what's what's the ideal spot? Uh, you know, obviously my dream location was Dallas. You know. Sometimes when you wish upon a star. the star calls you back Hello. hey michael yes sir this is jerry jones and i'm calling to tell you we're turning your card in you're a cowboy yeah, I you, know I ever wanted, you don't think it's too big for you to be a cowboy do you? no not at all <laughs> We've sure enjoyed watching how you have progressed in your career, and you had great support in this room. So we're proud to get you. Coach Quinn, smiling from ear he's your defensive coordinator. And I'm going to hand you over to our head coach. Yes, sir. Micah, congratulations. One PA guy to another. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting you down here. This is a, you're a great fit for us. I'm looking to come. Let's get to work right now. Yeah, we'll do. Hey, enjoy this time, enjoy this moment with your family. Congratulations. I will. Thank oh you so my much. God. All right, Michael. God bless you. Dallas, who had the 10th pick in the draft, traded back two spots uh, with Philadelphia of all teams and still were able to land Parsons. Dallas had one of the most intriguing drafts because they have a very talented group of players, but there was a lot of uh, character concerns, especially at the top. But if they all hit, dude, Dallas has got some toughness and some meanness, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But Parsons there, as you heard him say, he was hoping that it was Dallas and if it was Dallas, he was going to cry. And for it to be them, again, after they traded back within their own division – and to still get what I thought, who I had ranked as the top defender in this class, um, something special. You just love to hear uh, things like that, especially when, like I said, he talked about it being a uh, a a dream of his. You know, that's what he wanted. He wanted to stay in that blue. And this is not something he said just for the draft. There was a uh, post of his that I think it was either Twitter or on Instagram where he said that he was trying to stay in that blue and white for, for some time. And – for it to happen, right? It, I, my One of my favorite moments was when Mark Ingram, I, I've talked about him a few times on the show. He's my, one of my favorite backs just because of his personality and how he seems to be as a teammate. I don't know, obviously, know him, but uh, from what I've seen, his interaction with his teammates, guys who were, who were there to replace him, seems like a really, really good guy. And one of my favorite moments from the draft was, uh, I, gosh, who was he talking to? Was it Rachel Nichols? I forget who he was even speaking with, but when he got picked, he got uh, a phone call or was it a message from his father through the reporter? I, I believe it was a message through his father from his father through the reporter. And it brought him to tears on the stage. And that was just, his father, Mark, was uh, running back for the Giants he was in prison uh, at the time. And just just for to see that break out of emotion, that was the first one that I saw that, I, that really kind of got to me. And so to hear Michael Parsons now, I just, just now has become one of my favorite things in every draft. And the Parsons one really stuck out to me. And then there was one uh, more hometown one here. This is Khalil Herbert. Uh, Bears' sixth-round running back. And it came as a surprise. We got something in the mail probably about a month ago, and it was Khalil's handwriting, and it was addressed to him. And I was like, why would he write himself a letter? He wrote a letter to himself um, talking about where he wanted to be five years from that point. Find your dreams come true. He wrote this letter to himself on May 11th, 2016, fourth period, okay? It says, Dear Myself, five years from now, God will have and will still be showing his greatness through me. I want to affect or touch people's hearts in one way or another. I will have graduated college with a master's degree. Yes, he did. In five years, I will be in the NFL. Thanks, Coach, appreciate it. A real rumor goes in the thick round to Chicago, running back to Virginia Tech. And I'm back on my grind. A psychic read my lifeline, told me in my lifetime. my name will help light up the Chicago skyline. And that's why I'm seven o'clock, that's prime time. Heaven to watch God calling from the hotlines. Why you keep giving me hotlines? I'm a star, I could I not shine. five years, hopefully I will still be humble and give all the glory to God with the blessings he's given me. I will be a successful man. I know that. Before. Wow. Oh, Everyone hey. oh, say Chicago on three. One. <laughs> hey. Two, three, Chicago! That's a six-round running back we're talking about. Six-round. So, just to show you the amount of emotion that goes into these these uh, events in this weekend or that past, this past weekend, and how uh, it changed lives, you can hear it. You can hear it in their in their uh, in their voices and in their, the celebration, the jubilation behind them. So, again. Favorite moments that I that I uh, that I have now when the draft comes around is just seeing the reaction of the players who are genuinely uh, overcome with emotion in the moment. Following the draft, though, there are still some needs for the team. So for coming out this coming week for Clocker Sports, there will be an article highlighting the remaining needs for each teams. Uh, each team haven't decided yet if I'm going to do it by division or or rather by conference or do the entire league leaning towards the entire league, keep it short and sweet for each one, but I just don't know. But keep an eye out for that one because that should be uh, an interesting one as we get ready for the second round of cuts and rookie camps and all that other fun stuff in the the quote-unquote dead time of the NFL season. In other news, Aaron Rodgers is reportedly, you know, looking to get out of Green Bay. Um, Remember he had, we had that leak about him wanting to get out the night of the draft. Um, There's stories that Management has flown out to see him, Uh, stories that he is good on them unless they fire general manager Brian Gutekunst. And here's my take on that whole situation. While I understand Rodgers' frustrations and them not adding to anything that's going to really help him in the immediate uh, term, Gutekunst is actually doing a really good job for the Green Bay Packers as an organization. He's drafting and signing and doing things just how I would want my general manager to do things if I was not the 37-year-old reigning MVP quarterback. So I understand Rodgers' frustrations. But at the same time, Gudakunst is doing a a really good job, save for maybe the quarterback thing, (laughs) which could ultimately come back to bite them and and, and sink everything else that he's done if they don't get that right. But yeah, that's that. I'm sorry, Aaron. Not really you want to go go <laughs> bears as a bears fan i am um, i'm not gonna shed a tear if you if you go elsewhere uh but i, I gotta say gutta is doing a good job so there's no way and i think maybe that's part of the plan. maybe that's part of the strategy the, the strategery is that he knows they're not firing gutta he's doing a good uh, bang up job i'm telling you but there's that 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 riff there's that uh there's that uh that that disconnect and then they cut Jake Kumaro which felt like a move that was just done to spite him. Rodgers that is. Cuz it's not like Kumaro's a great receiver, he is a, a a favorite of Rodgers. And for them to cut him unceremoniously like that, they drafted the receiver Armani Rodgers uh I want to say in the 3rd round. Regardless, they drafted the a receiver, but I mean, we know how long it takes receivers to get acclimated to the NFL and then how long it's taken them to get comfortable and with Rodgers and vice versa, especially. I, ah, Green Bay, man, you're doing a really good job everywhere except for with the quarterbacks. And listen, I can tell you from experience that that is a recipe for disaster. The NFL sent out a memo to teams uh, in the wake of Denver Broncos offensive tackle Jawan James's season-ending Achilles tear He got the injury while working away from from the team facility, and the NFL. While while it was made known that they didn't owe him any money because he worked out away, the the NFL sent out a memo. Um, to I mean, stick it to the NFLPA, and and stick it to him good. Like this was probably one of the uh, one of the the better this you moments that I've seen, and. I, I just don't know what else to say. So here, here's, the, here's the statement. Let me pull it up here, and I, I'll, I'll read it to you in full because you just got to hear how they – it's very passive-aggressive, very professionally ignorant, as I like to call it. <laughs> so this is from uh, NFL Management Council to the executives, presidents, managers, and head coaches. Subject is injury sustained away from club facilities. The media recently reported that Denver Broncos player Juwan James suffered a significant, potentially season-ending injury while working out at a private gym away from the club's facility. Mr. James's $10 million, Paragraph Five salary for the 2021 season was fully guaranteed for skill, injury, and cap purposes. Several clubs have inquired about the contractual obligations—or, I'm sorry, contractual implications—resulting from the fact that Mr. James sustained the season-ending injury while training away from the Broncos' facility. Injuries sustained while a player is not working out on his own. I'm sorry, let me try that again. (laughs) Injuries sustained while a player is working out on his own in a location other than an NFL facility are considered non football injuries and are outside the scope of a typical skill, injury, and cap guarantee. Such injuries are also not covered by the protection found in paragraph 9 of the NFL player contract, meaning that clubs have no contractual obligation to provide salary continuation during the year in which the injury was sustained. By contrast, injuries sustained by a player while working out at a club facility, they underlined and bolded that part, by the way, or as specifically authorized by his club are considered football-related injuries. Under our agreement with the NFL Players Association, there it is, players that sustain football-related injuries are entitled to significant protection, including 1. paragraph Payment of paragraph 5 salary, 2. Medical care, 3. Pension credit if the player is unable to perform services for three regular season games due to injury, and 4. Other benefits, such as injury protection, which will provide payments to players in seasons following the season of a career-ending injury. (sighs) And it goes on to say, according to media coverage, several players have expressed surprise that Mr. James's injury was not covered by his injury guarantee. Here it is. Although this point has been made frequently in our discussions with the NFLPA about the off-season program. Clubs are encouraged to remind players of the significant injury-related protection provided if they choose to work out at the club facility and if the, the risk they undertake if choosing to train in non-NFL locations. Please contact a member of the NFL Management Council legal team if you have questions about the contents of this memorandum. Whew. That's a lot of work to say. this your fault. <laughs> you recall you had about two-thirds of the league coming out saying that they weren't going to be attending OTAs. In solidarity, the league added that extra game. Players said, well, okay, we want no preseason. We're not doing the OTAs because they're not really voluntary anyway. You're kind of forcing us. We're not going to do it. We're not showing up. You had guys who had workout bonuses show up, but most guys were just, we're not showing up. NFLP or the NFL said, okay, well, you did you guys don't want to show up, and this is what happens. Ah, hate to see it. <laughs> That's petty. That is petty. I mean, they're not wrong, but I'm saying it's petty. Now. What this really does for me is highlight how bad the NFLPA is. They had the worst union in professional sports. You know what I just found out? just found out that the highest uh, uh, fine in the NHL is $5,000. Five $5,000. You get $5,000 fine for having a shoelace untied in the NFL. You know the NBA and the, and the, and the MLB have guaranteed contracts? You know that you know who doesn't the guys who are getting cte the guys who are who are having trouble walking when their career is over those guys aren't it's, it's it's such a bad such a bad union and a lot of it's on the players for not standing firmer when they're trying to demand things What you've seen in other leagues is players being willing to to risk game checks and be it due to poor cash management or just a flat out unwillingness to NFL players have never seemed to be um, uh, willing to go that far to forfeit a game check to make their point, to get what they want. So they don't want it bad enough. So you don't get it. And this is how you end up with this type of situation. And they, the, the player that they were talking about was Patrick Mahomes, the face. Or at least the next face, maybe it's still Tom Brady. But like, holy cow, I mean, Pat, Patty, Patty, love it, <laughs> love it. It's bogus, but I mean, this is... NFLPA has got to do better in protecting the players. Period. Point blank. Period. That's the bottom line. That's what that. That's what the memo showed me. That's what this whole situation shows me. And honestly, it is the players' fault. But that's because it's their fault, not just because of this, but because they haven't done a better job in the run up to this in in protecting their rights. So you heard it to lead off the show. Let's go back to it. I barely lead a little bit uh, long enough here. Let's listen to that Alejandro Villanueva clip again. You know, when you have a balanced offense or when you run the ball, it's it's obviously better for the offensive line. I'm assuming it's not as fun for the wide receivers, uh, because they're not getting all the catches, they're making the TikToks and they're 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 having fun on their social media. Now you recall, um, during the entire national anthem protest phase that the NFL was going through, Lillian Way was very vocal. He's a former soldier. Um he was very vocal in his in, in that he was going to go out there and he was going to do the salute the 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 anthem and, and stand and all that stuff. And um, even went so far as to go against what the team supposedly had talked about Um, to do what he was going to do. Whatever. I don't, I've don't. i never cared. That's whatever. That's stuff for people to argue about. It's not really substantive. Uh, But this, <laughs> this is the direct shot. And everybody's focusing on one or two things. I've heard Juju. That's obvious. The TikTok thing. I've heard uh, people say that he was taking shots at Big Ben because he was talking about how he mentioned Le'Veon Bell used to get them get them juiced up, but apparently that leaving out Ben or omitting Ben's name is a slight. Whatever. But I think that while in addition to those two, I don't think he, he was excluding them, but in addition to those two, he was also taking a shot at Tomlin and the system. Because he talked about he, it's not fun where you're in a system where you're doing this all the time. And part of that is on Tomlin. Now, you remember, I've talked about this a few times, How with Ben coming back, they're basically limiting their offense to straight drop back passing or a straight handoff. There's no deception there. Ben can't do play action anymore. So when he said system, that was the first place that my mind went was, oh, he's talking about Tom and them and how they've designed, how they've, they've got an offense that's been limited. And maybe that's why he didn't come back. Maybe they didn't want him back. I don't know the entire story there. I'm not a, you know, I don't follow Pittsburgh football like that, but I'm saying it would make sense. Especially when he goes. It's not a culture thing. Because, I mean, you can say it's a TikTok stuff, but I mean Lamar and them aren't cool. They out there doing social media stuff and they're very animated. So it's not the anime, it's not the, the personalities. It's football. It's that Juju was getting lit up and then TikToking. Right? It's that again, I think that Ben was is a very limited option at this point. It's that Tomlin hasn't been able to. Now it's him and his OC, but it falls on the head coach. So Tomlin hasn't been able to formulate some kind of an offense to make this effective beyond that, when when teams are planning for you to drop back and pass, when they're planning for you to turn around and hand it off. He said it was a very a good interview, talking about a lot of different things, and um, again, salute to him for his service. Uh, but that, that, that line, I think we're missing the point here. I think we're, we're leaving somebody out. He definitely was talking about Juju. He was definitely taking a shot uh, at Big Ben. But I think we were also talking about Mike Tomlin. Just my personal opinion on that one. The Bears, and I'm writing this one, uh, this one should be out later on, on Friday, uh, about everybody wants the Chicago Bears to ruin Justin Fields. And I don't understand what the hell is going on. Prior to the draft, if you look at the Bears roster, and I know they made some changes, but we're going to talk about that too. But if you look at the Bears roster, you would not have told me, or you wouldn't have convinced me that they were a quarterback away, unless that quarterback was one of the top five in the league. So. With Andy Dalton under center, it was never going to be, oh, the Bears should be, you know, they're going to be contending for a playoff spot. They were going to be bad. We were talking about them going to possibly have a top five pick next year. Okay? So all that's changed is you've added rookie quarterback and a rookie right tackle that you're going to try at left tackle. I don't know in what world, this is supposed to make them a better team this year. And I hear everybody, oh, you gotta get them to get the lump shot. Okay. I would say that if we had a group that we So, okay, we already have very limited faith in what the in what this regime can do in development, developing a quarterback. The one caveat I'll say is that we've seen Matt Nagy have a hand in Patrick Mahomes' development. Ball. Mahomes has spoken of this. And so. That's where I get my solace and that I've seen it. We, 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 we've got proof that Matt Nagy can at least do it. He's done it. We don't know if he can do it again. But we know he can do it. and He's done it. We don't know about that from Pace. So we haven't seen the rest of these moves play out yet. What I would rather do is follow that Kansas City model, which is what they've been trying to do from the jump. That was what they've been trying to do the entire time. They screwed up Mitch because they didn't sit him. And then when they put him in, he wasn't a fit for what they were trying to do. And they never really tried to make it work. They went up and got Nagy's guy for a roster that you just added rookies to. You didn't add any, like you didn't add veteran presence here. So the fields coming in is not gonna elevate this team to the level that people are are selling it as when they're trying to promote starting him from the jump. Now, I will say this if you're gonna start him, it has to be from the beginning. It has to be from the from the start because there's no there's not gonna be any logical reason to start him if the team is doing good. And they're winning. You don't want to you want to throw, throw throw off that rhythm. And if they're doing bad and they're they're playing poorly, do you really want them to go out there then? No, you don't. You really, really don't. So not only do you have proof, you have empirical evidence that Nay can do something when you let the guy sit and he just gets to watch for a year. Because we know Fields has the physical talents. It's the mental. It's the it's the upstairs part that hits. Got And I'm not saying he's slow. I'm talking about that's every rookie. Being able to sit for years year is a luxury. If the Bears are able to do that, and I already think they can because they, they let Pace and them trade up to get, to get him, so they're clearly going to be here next year. They're in no rush to win now other than to get, Uh, uh or, or I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. There's no penalty for them not winning now. How about that? But I'm not throwing him out there if they're winning because you're not going to disrupt the winning culture. I'm not throwing him out there if they're doing bad because I don't want him out there under a bad football team. Wait till you have more money next year. You can add more pieces to that offense. You can add more. If you're bad, that second round pick is gonna be gonna look a little better, right? It's not gonna be. You won't have your first round, but you'll have a second round pick that's damn near as good to get a, a one of those talents that falls that can be a really solid piece for your team. And the draft that I think is supposed to be again be heavy on quarterbacks. They might not be as talented, but they're supposed to be heavy again on quarterbacks. You let him sit, except for maybe mop up duty. There's no, I don't, I just don't understand. I don't, what's wild to me is that it went from being they're going to be a bad team to, oh, they got this rookie quarterback who for a good chunk of the offseason, people were trying to tell us that he was not even a top five quarterback in this class. And then because they got called out on their bull, they tried to backtrack on that and say, oh, it's a steal. You should see some of the same people who were knocking him, Dan Orlovsky, are now coming out saying that he's he's just this talented. He's that guy. He's the, oh my goodness. Shut up. Stop. Because you were just saying that the team was bad. Don't force him out there because you want to see it. They want the Bears to ruin him. Because then you can say Chicago has horrible quarterback history. They just can't do it. Then you could say Ohio State just can't make quarterbacks. Then you could say some other stuff about quarterbacks like Justin Fields. They want it to be bad. That's the only reason I can think about for anybody saying that, that he should be starting. Because he should not. Andy Dalton is QB1. Yeah. It sucks, but yeah, he is. Just like Mike Lynn was. Mike Glenn should have been QB1. Whole season. You let that kid sit back there and watch. You do that, I think you have a much better chance of success. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh e. Buck, Facebook page, Sports clockersports, website, clockersports.com, email address, clockersports, at gmail.com. And, of course, read the stuff, last run of pro football, pivoting, easy.com, and uh, clockersports.com. And follow the pod at Zeroes Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and until the very next time. You now, when you have a balanced offense or when you run the ball, it's, it's obviously better for the offensive line. I'm assuming it's not as fun for the wide receivers, uh, because they're not getting all the catches. They're making the TikToks and they're, 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 they're having fun on their social media.